Good morning. morning. How are you this morning? Happy 2016. It's going to take us at least a week to get used to saying that and get used to writing it. Uh, As uh, Tim or Mandy, one of the two, was sharing earlier, this is sort of that time of the year where there's this palpable sense of newness. And there's something, um, well, it's always a good time to worship and praise God and thank Him for what He is doing and has done. But maybe this time as much as any of the year. So it's great to be with you all this morning. Already a wonderful opportunity, time of worship with us together as a body. A couple announcements, and then we're going to jump into a little bit of a different service uh, this morning. We're not, we're not, I'm not going to preach as much as we normally would. We're going to have a time of communion together, the Lord celebrating the Lord's table. We're going to have an extended time of worship and just allow us as a body to do some reflection, to do some looking ahead, looking forward, and just focusing on God's presence with us. This morning, uh, but before we move into all those things, let me just mention a couple of things. Uh, January sixteenth, we're going to have a family movie night right here at Fellowship Franklin. Uh, we're going to be showing the movie Frozen. Some of you may have heard of that movie; uh, it's pretty good. And if you've never been to one of the family movie nights we have here, it, it, don't don't come just for the movie. It's not one of those things where you come and just watch the movie. It, it's a, it's an experience, right? We're going to have some activities going on. We're going to have a lot of snacks, a lot of food. It's so much fun for the kids. So hopefully you'll get a chance to join us on January 16th, just coming up in a couple of weeks. I want to give you a, a praise, a great report about our global Christmas offering. As you all know, every year we, we celebrate global Christmas, where we have this little phrase, less under our tree means more for the world and it's really our opportunity to bless those that we're in partnership with around the world. And we heard the story told of Peter in South Sudan and some other stories throughout the last four weeks. And I'm just excited to tell you that uh, your generosity, both here at Fellowship Brentwood and then at Fellowship South Nashville, which is just um, a core group gathering right now, that God has used you in a remarkable way, as he seems to always do through this offering. So the current total, uh, as of January 1st, $636,000, which is just such an enormous gift. That's already above and beyond what we received for the entire offering uh, last year. And uh, people are continuing to give and will be. So we're just so grateful. That's going to enable us to meet all of the budgeted needs that we talked about on that website. It's also going to enable us to go above and beyond some of those things to bless those partners in ways that they're not expecting. So I can't tell you how excited we are. Thank you for your generosity. One of our core values here at Fellowship. And uh, by God's grace, you all are living that out very, very well. I also want to take just a brief moment to give you a small update on the lawsuit that was filed a month ago, as you're, uh, most of you may be well aware of. If not, would encourage you to read information posted on our website about that. Uh, this past week, our legal counsel filed our formal response or our formal answer to the charges and uh, denying all of the allegations against Fellowship Bible Church and wanted to make you aware of that. That's a normal part of the court proceeding, and now it's going to enter into a phase of discovery. Uh, The reason we wanted to make you aware is there could be some media coverage. We don't know that there will be, but it's a possibility that there will be with this part of the case. And just wanted to make you aware of that if if that happens. Uh, But we want to continue to pray about that and pray for those families and those two children that were involved in that. And let me say also, we as a leadership team, and I, I speak on behalf of the elders as well, are so grateful for your support. It's really been overwhelming. And a lot of you have come to us and said, you know, we really sense uh, uh, a season of unity and, and uh, almost that the Spirit is using even this circumstance to unify us as a body. And we feel that too. 
and just wanted to tell you we're grateful for that, grateful for your support. So let's pray as we continue to, to work through um, the heaviness of that, but also the joy of seeing God at work in the midst of darkness, as well as what he's done through the global offering uh, and what he'll be doing throughout this year. Would you bow your heads with me as we reflect for a moment on those things? Our Father, your grace is sufficient. In fact, it's more than sufficient. It is above and beyond what we need in every area of our lives. And I want to thank you that that is true. I want to thank you it's true now. It's true in 2016. It's been true in the history of the world. It'll be true tomorrow. And Father, we come before you in gratitude for what you are doing around the globe. And honestly, we are a very small part of that, but we love being a part of it. It's a privilege to be a part of the gospel going out literally to the four corners of the earth through your spirit. And Father, thank you for the generosity of this body and the way that you will use these gifts to bless our global partners and allow their mission to continue throughout 2016. Father, I pray for the families uh, involved and the two children that were involved in the incident uh, about a year and a half ago. Pray for their continued healing. Pray for the legal proceedings that you would just continue to be very present in that. We're grateful for wise men and women who love you and are working diligently so that the truth may be known. And we just entrust all of that into your hands. We pray for the care and protection of those that are involved and all the vulnerable in our community. And Father, finally, I want to pray for the rest of this service. God, we need you. We need you this year. I pray that you would open our eyes to your presence in a new, powerful way in 2016, that as we reflect on the year to come, we would remember that you are a God who's with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And we think about that as we look ahead toward another year. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the time of year. I don't know about you, but I started thinking about my goals. You know, I, I stopped making a formal resolutions several years ago because I, I was just one of those guys. You know, I get in the getting on the treadmill in the January, and by, by the time Super Bowl runs around, I'm, I'm back on the couch. You know, I'm just one of those guys. I have a hard time sort of carrying through my resolutions. But I do like to think about sort of goals for the upcoming year and, and where I would pray that God would continue to grow me and develop me. And last year, I, I wrote down, and I'm, I'm going to write down just two or three this year because I don't know if you've read any books on goal setting and resolution setting, but honestly, they say the fewer you set, the more likely you are to hit anything. So I said two or three and then two or three turned into four or five and then four or five turned into eight or ten you know this is how I work and I went back a couple days ago and, and read those and I thought you know I could probably say with integrity that I honestly probably lived out about two of the eight or ten that I did and you know for me honestly it's not bad so this year I'm going to set two and then maybe I'll hit two and that's kind of how I work but I, I was thinking this year about what will make 2016 a good year and you know how it is, we reflect on 2015 and the, you know, the year that followed at the end of the year. And a close friend of mine, not long ago, is the, the 2015 winded down, he, he made this statement. He said, you know, here are all the hard things that have happened to me in 2015. And he listed them off. And they were deep waters, I mean, hard things. And then he said this, he said, it was a great year. You know, despite all those circumstances, 
It was a great year, and here's why. I, I feel closer to God's presence, and some of that was because of the hard circumstance, and some of it was because of other things, but I felt closer to God in 2015 despite hard circumstances. So I started thinking about what would make 2016 a great year regardless of circumstances, because I don't know what's coming my way. You don't know what's coming your way. This could be the hardest year for you circumstantially. It could be an easy year. I don't know. We don't know what's coming our way. But what would make the year a great year regardless of circumstances? And this is where my mind has been for myself, but also for you, this congregation, as your pastor, as one of your pastors, as I've been preparing for this morning. And uh, I was digging through the Psalms over the break, and particularly the writings of David. He's maybe my favorite character in all of Scripture. I'll tell you why in a few minutes. Except for Jesus. I've got to say that, except for Jesus, right? I almost messed that one up. But I love David. I love his honesty before God. I just kind of love the way that he thinks and writes and sort of lives life full on, full tilt. And uh, I remembered something that David had asked for. In fact, if you want to boil David's life down to one pursuit, one thing he was asking God, one thing that he was going to focus on, you might say one hope that David had that knew he was going to have a great year or a great life regardless of his circumstances, it's found in Psalm 27. I invite you to go ahead and take your Bibles uh, and turn there. I'll read the verse in just a minute, but let me set this up for you while you're turning to Psalm 27. We're only going to focus on one verse this morning, but let me give you the context for the psalm as a whole. Uh, many times throughout the psalms, you'll find David in hiding. You'll find him running. You'll find him dealing with enemies, and, and this was no different. In fact, the early part of David's life, well, not, not the earliest part, but, but once he sort of grew to be noticed by Saul and had some positions of authority and, and started leading things, his life for that season until he was king, he was on the run from Saul who was trying to take his life. And then even after David became king, as you know, he was threatened from various ways, even toward the later part of his life. His own son rose up against him, threatened to overtake him in a coup of the kingdom. So David had a lot of enemies. David had a lot of adversaries. And we find him in this psalm proclaiming the goodness of God, the greatness of God's protection, and the closeness of God's presence. And that's what Psalm 27 is all about. And I want to highlight one verse from Psalm 27, verse 4. It'll be up on the screens. I'd invite you just to you don't have to read along out loud, but silently as I read it. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. One thing I have asked from the Lord. Right? This is the, essentially what David is saying. This is my one resolution. This is the one thing, God, I'm going to ask for. This is the one thing that I'm personally going to focus on. I'm going to move toward in my own life. And then he goes on to ask this. Now, and at first, it seems like a little bit of a strange desire or a strange request to dwell in the house of the Lord. And you say, well, is he talking literally? Like, does he literally want to pull out the sleeping bag and just lay there in the house of the Lord? And, and I'll answer that in a minute, but first I, w I want to explain what he means when he says house of the Lord. You may remember, David didn't get to build the temple, right? David wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, you got too much blood on your hands in a sense. David, you're a man of battle, you're a man of war. I will allow your son, who ended up being Solomon, I'll allow Solomon to build the temple. So the temple was built under Solomon's reign. However, there was still a house of the Lord during David's reign, um, we, you recall the account that, that David took the Ark of the Covenant and he placed it under a tent. And of course, the Ark was 
in the Old Testament where the literal presence of God, the particular presence of God, manifested itself in the Ark of the Covenant in this tent. Right? So David was, when he, he talks about the house of the Lord, even calling it the temple, this is before the, the actual literal temple, but this was that tabernacle, this was a tent where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now the focus for David was not literally, hey, I want to be a priest, I want to serve and live and spend all my time and, and sleep literally in the house. What he's asking for is, God, I want your presence. I want to be with you. I want to live in such a way so that you and I are in communion together, that we are close relationship. Notice the words he says, sort of the second half of this, this verse. He says, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord and I want to meditate in his temple. Behold the beauty, meditate in his temple. You, you might say it this way. David had a preoccupation with God's person and God's will. Behold your beauty, right? The person. I just want to be near you. You ever had somebody, maybe, maybe think, you know, back to if you're married, you, you first met your spouse and you're in that dating age, a little bit of that infatuation age. You, you, you just want to be near that person. You just want to behold their beauty. And then he wants to meditate. He wants to be thinking. He wants his mind to be close to God's will, God's heart. That's why David had a strong love for God's word. And he wrote a lot about that as well. So he just wants to be near to God. Another way you might say it is, David was all about life with God. With. With. That was an important word in David's life. With. God, I want to be with you. I want to be near you. Now let's talk about God's presence. We know that God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He occupies all the space. There is no place you could be that is outside of God's presence. And yet in the Old Testament, we find that God's presence, although everywhere, was also in particular places. So his presence was, was more, was, you'd say particularly at the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and sort of um, indwelling that space. And that's kind of something different for us to think about, God's particular presence being in that Ark. But there's also this sense of the, through the Holy Spirit that would come and indwell people. And we know that David, from time to time through his life, was filled with the Spirit. Now here's the difference between Old Testament Spirit indwelling and New Testament Spirit indwelling. And this is kind of where I want to go. In the Old Testament, the indwelling of the Spirit was specific, in other words, for specific people, not for everybody, and not even for everybody that believed in God, believed in Yahweh or worshipped Yahweh. It wasn't for everybody. It was for specific people, and it was temporary. So, for example, for, with Samson, it says the Spirit was upon him, and then the Spirit left. And even with David, remember Psalm 51, when David's great confession after he sinned with, against Bathsheba, and, and, and he killed Bathsheba's wife, Uriah, and he says, take not your spirit from me. Like God had that prerogative, the ability to, to put his spirit on someone and then withdraw his spirit on someone. So we see that particular presence of God. And so what David is essentially praying for is, may I permanently live, dwell with you, God. That's David's prayer. Now, the Christ event that we just celebrated in this Advent se uh, series, this Advent season, I should say, the Christ event changed the way God's presence is experienced. So Emmanuel, which I already mentioned in my prayer, means God with us. The name that was given to Jesus, and it literally means God with us. So 
what do you mean God with us? He was with us before, but now he's with us in a particular way through Jesus Christ. And then as we know, before Jesus Christ leaves the earth after his resurrection, or actually shortly after he does, the day of Pentecost occurs, and now the Spirit indwells permanently every believer in Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, but I want you to see that things changed with Christ. So you might think of it this way. David was way before his time. And this is the reason I love David most, of all, at least of all the Old Testament characters. Me personally, I see David as someone that was just living almost a, as much as he could, almost a New Testament type of relationship with God before the New Testament even came. He, his focus was on God's presence. He lived with God, even though the Spirit at that time would, in a sense, come and go through his life. And it makes me wonder for us, have we fully realized and appreciated the gift that we have of God's permanent, continual presence with us through the Spirit? And, and I'm going to take this full circle. This is what I've been thinking about for 2016. What would it look like for me to live life with God? Now, it wouldn't be the first time that, that God's been with me, of course, ever since I received Christ. For me, that was I was a young child. The Spirit has been with me. God's been present in my life. But what would it look like for me to be conscious and intentional in my communion, living life with God in 2016? What would that really look like for me? Now, before we kind of get into some practical application, which is what I want to do with the second part of the message, we need to remember how that's even possible for us, and that is through the bread and the cup. It's through the broken body of Jesus and through the shed blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice for us. So what I'm going to ask us to do together as a body is we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. And so the, the ushers are going to go ahead and get ready. Don't come forward quite yet, but as they get ready, let's talk about what communion actually is. Let's talk about this Lord's table. So you remember the night Jesus was betrayed, the night that he was given over to uh, the Roman soldiers. He sat with his disciples in his last supper with them, his most intimate friends, and he took the bread that was part of this Passover formal supper, this Passover supper, and he said, this bread represents my body, and he broke it. And he said, eat this, and as you eat this, what I will uh, what will happen is I will be in you. I will be with you, in a sense. In other words, is the bread is symbolic of the broken body of Jesus. He was about to go to the cross a day later. And he took the cup in the same way. So this is the, the shed my blood for you. And you drink it. You drink it in remembrance of me. And what Jesus was doing was he was, through what we call communion or the Lord's table, he was inviting the disciples into communion to experience the presence of God through Jesus Christ as the Spirit would later come into their lives in a way that had been unattainable before that time. He was inviting them to experience what David had been crying out for, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, all the days of my life that I may behold the beauty of God to meditate in his temple. In New Testament terms, where's the temple? It's the body of Christ, right? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the living God? So this is remarkable for us that we have an opportunity to dwell in intimate communion with God 
through this gift that Jesus gave on our behalf. So I want us to remember that, meditate on it even now. So ushers, go ahead and come forward and they'll pass the elements. Uh, Go ahead and take uh, the little piece of bread, take the cup. And listen, here's what I'd say. This table is open to all who have received this gift of Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've not come to that point in your life, just let it pass by. No one's going to think strange thoughts about you. And use this as a chance to reflect on what it could mean for you in 2016 to believe, to take God at his word. And for those of you that are believers in Jesus, take the cup, take the bread, just hold on to it for a few minutes. We're going to sit in some stillness. We're going to meditate. There'll be a little music playing. And then I'll come back up and lead us through the Lord's table together. The Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it. He said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Now, all of us who through the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ have the privilege of being with God, of being reconciled to the Father, also have the opportunity to intentionally live every day, every moment, the year ahead, in intentional, constant communion with the Father. And so I want to talk for a few minutes about what that might look like. I remember the first year Jody and I were married was 2001. So we, she and I got married in May of that year. And so for about half the year, we lived together. And it was a new thing. It was a remarkable thing. And I remember about four or five months in, turning to her and I said, man, if I would have known how, how, how wonderful it would be to be with you all the time, how, how much we would just enjoy talking and kind of being together, I would ask you to marry me even sooner. Right, And she probably punched me at that time because she waited a while for me to pop the question. But I do want to say this. My life changed radically. Now, I could have approached it a couple different ways. Living with Jody, I could have ignored that presence and I could have kind of gone on with my life. I could have treated things the way I've been treating things. I could have eaten the same way. I could have kept my house decorated the same way because that changed a lot, by the way. (laughs) I could have spent my money the same way. That changed as well because now my money was her money and we had to negotiate and navigate through that. But because I was willing to intentionally enter into the newness that the presence of having someone to live with brought to me, my life changed. It was altered wasn't always easy, but it was wonderful. It was beautiful. But you see, I had a choice. She could have moved in. I could have ignored her. Instead, I entered into life with her. And that's what I want to invite you to do in 2016. The Spirit is with you. If you've been a believer, the Spirit's been with you for a long time. But two areas I'd like to encourage you in as you think about what would it look like for 2000. There goes the the cup. I'm glad it was empty. 
two areas as you think about what would it look like for me in 2016 to intentionally live life with God. One is your posture. Two is the area of prayer. So I want to talk about each briefly. What do I mean by posture? This comes from some reflections I've been doing on on the writings of of an author named Sky Jathani. He wrote a book called With, W-I-T-H. And he said, you know, there's probably five primary ways that you can have a posture toward God or that you can relate to God. And the first four are inadequate. And he listed them out. And I want to walk through those with you because I think they're really helpful. They've been helpful to me. I think they can be helpful for you. The first way that you could posture yourself toward God is you could think about life under God. That's this idea of sort of living under his rules and believing that as long as I obey his commands, he will bless me, he will bless my family, he will keep harm from me. I'm going to live under God. Now, there's a lot worse ways you could live. I'm not saying life under God is bad or sinful or wrong. I'm just saying it's not fullness of life. And you'll see that as we build through these. But someone who's primarily focused on living under God would say this, that, that if, if, if I don't get back to honoring God, or if we as a nation or we as a family don't get back to honoring God, he will not bless us. But as soon as we get back to honoring God, we will receive the blessing of God. Now, not totally untrue. Not totally untrue, but not adequate. Not necessarily the best way to think about your posture with God. Then there's life over God. Now, this sounds like, well, I'm going to lord over God. That's not typically how we usually live. Life over God would be defined with someone who just says, I'm not going to think much about God. I'm just going to live my life as if God doesn't exist. And of course, an atheist or an agnostic would be in this camp, but so would a Christian who's just so preoccupied with the rest of life. You don't even think about God that much. I've been in that place. I can go in that place very easy, easily. Someone who's living life over God would say this, I, I just don't really think about God. He only enters my consciousness when I'm really in trouble. Life over God. Let's talk about another one. Life from God. Right? This is someone who wants God's blessings and gifts, but honestly is not particularly interested in God himself. So much of our consumer approach to Christianity or maybe some prosperity gospel would fit in this category of, God, I I need you to bless me. I need life from you. I'm going to take all I can from you, but I'm not really interested in your face. I'm not interested in beholding your beauty. That seems foreign to me. And finally, the, the, the fourth posture that I'd say would be inadequate would be life for God. Now, this one sounds really great. Because this posture believes that the most significant life is the one that is expended accomplishing great things in God's service. So someone that's primarily postured this way toward God would say, I don't want to miss out on the most significant life. And the most significant life is me maybe going to become a missionary, me serving God in some profound way and allowing some great impact that will transcend my existence. That sounds really good. In fact, it is very good. But it may also be an inadequate way to approach. And Jathani goes on to write that the posture that seems to be most biblical, most relational in terms of the invitation through the gospel is not life under, over, or from, or for God, but life with God. And this is essentially rooted in the theology of the Trinity. That before you and I ever were, God Was God is Father, Son, Spirit, perfectly communing together in perfect relationship of love. And you see, through Jesus, we are invited into that fellowship, invited into that with 
Ness. That's the posture. What would it look like for you in 2016 to say, I'm going to be more focused on living with God than for God or under God or over God or from God. That's the posture. And then the second is prayer. And I'd love for you to think about prayer as communion, not just prayer as conversation. And for many of you, that may be a new way to think about prayer. What do you mean prayer as communion? not just conversation. Isn't prayer talking to God? Isn't it essentially conversation or communication? Yes. And yet Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Now, how do you do that? Right, what would that mean? Don't, don't I still have to carry on my work and carry on my family? And don't I still have to like iron clothes and cook dinners and drive places and, and write emails and all those things? How do I pray without ceasing? Well, I think it's about being consciously aware of the presence of God, of almost living life on two levels, if you want to think about it this way. So there's the top level where you're going about the normal business of your life, relating to family and friends and coworkers and neighbors. And then there's the underlay of your life where you're constantly just sort of aware that God's with you through this. And you're, you're listening for the prompts of the Spirit and you're talking to Him while you can. And if you think about prayer as we understand prayer, of you know, getting alone somewhere and bowing your head and folding your hands and all those things, that's almost simply where the two, the, the two layers come together in one layer, right? But there's always sort of this, there's life happening out here and then I'm in fellowship, I'm in communion with God through the Spirit. Have you ever thought about prayer that kind of way? This is an exciting way to think about your relationship with God. Um, I'm going to make an analogy that I was hesitant to make because I don't want you to take this too far down the wrong way, but I think oftentimes when, when someone has experienced a loss of a close, someone close to them, a loved one, and, and, and they sort of, you ask them, you know, well, how are you doing? Do you miss that person? They say, oh, yes, I miss them. But on the other hand, I, they're, they're still with me. You know, there's this sense of their presence. Now, I, I'm not making any theological statements about that, but what I do want to do is use that as an analogy of that same kind of sense that, that the, the presence of someone that's not physically with me is still kind of with me, just that sense. That is a reality about God in you through the Spirit. You see, you can literally live life. He's, he's here. Like, he's with me. He's there. I am in the house of the Lord, whether I'm in my car or on the kitchen table. You understand, this is what's been opened up to us through Jesus that David longed for. Now, here's how we want to spend the rest of the service this morning is just give you some space to pray. Give you some space to reflect, to sort of start 2016 off in relationship. So I'm going to invite you to do one of three things. We're going to have about eight minutes, and I'm going to invite you to do one of three things. One is you can stay right in your seat and just pray. Bow your heads, meditate, Pray, whatever comes to your mind, whatever business you need to do with God, whatever thoughts come to your mind and you think about the upcoming year, just spend some time doing that. The second thing I want to encourage you to do, if you would like to, is to come forward and kneel. And, and I know that we don't do that a whole lot here, but I think there's something about getting out of your seat and coming and kneeling before, uh, you know, symbolically the presence of God. Think about this as almost an altar and give you a chance to do that. We've got some cushions up here. Uh, we've got some candles that just kind of help you sort of focus in this kind of time of prayer. You have about eight minutes. I invite you to come forward and do that. There's plenty of room up here around this stage. And the third thing I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you 
to ask someone to pray for you. And so here's what we've done. We, we've asked about eight people that are going to be prayer intercessors for us over the next eight to 10 minutes. And if you're one of those people that we've asked, I'd like you to go ahead and stand up and move over to my left, kind of that back corner of the room over here. And those people will be there. And if you want someone to pray with you and pray for you, go over and ask. Don't be shy about it. This is an opportunity for the body to love you well, to engage with you. And it doesn't mean that, you know, your life is messed up and go anything like that. Although, what if it was? <laughs> no shame in that. No shame in that. Ask for prayer. Ask for intercession. Allow the body of Christ to minister to you during this time. So those are three things that you can do while the band prays. Let me start us off in prayer and then I'll come up here. Actually, we'll, we'll, we'll sing a, a couple songs or a song formally when this prayer comes to a close. Bow your head with me. Our Father, we thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to live life with you through the Spirit. And we don't fully understand all that that means. There's, there, there, there's some mystery in that. But we believe it. And we want to enter into it in a new way in this year. I pray that for our body. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name.